Good morning, everyone. It's good to see you this morning. Praise the Lord that you're here. Thank you for joining us as well as being online with us. We praise the Lord for a, a morning that we can gather together. We don't take it for granted. And we turn our attention to worship him, don't we? Let me read to you some terrific verses, two of them from 1 John chapter 3, verses 1 and 2. See how great a love the Father has bestowed on us that we should be called the children of God, and such we are. For this reason, the world does not know us because it did not know him. See, only God would even dream of or think about calling us his children. All the other false gods in this world would never desire or have that kind of relationships with their followers, just God the Father. So, beloved, now we are children of God, and it has not appeared as yet what we will be. We know that when he appears, we will be like him, because we will see him just as he is. In fact, not just to see him from a distance, but see him up close, a face-to-face -face relationship with Creator God, who saved us from our sin. Sound good to you? Amen. Sounds good to me, too. Let's bow our head and thank God for that kind of relationship now and forever. You can hardly imagine what it will be like to see you face to face, but it is a relationship that you have given to us and one that we get to enjoy forever. Wow, thank you, Father. Thank you so much for that. And, and we know that the proper response in many ways is to bow down before you, and we will, and we do now. We will forever as well. But we also know that we get, by your precious hand, lifting our chin up to see you. Thank you, Lord. Thank you for that kind of relationship. It puts everything else into very much a perspective here on earth of what really matters and what doesn't. Good things to think about as we begin a, a year together and help us to remember, Lord, that loving father-to-child relationship, perfect in every way that we share with you because of what you've done for us. Thank you for claiming us as your own. In Jesus' name, amen. We get to celebrate our God and Savior by singing to him. So let's stand and sing the song, God is for us.
Let's be seated, everyone.
O'er all the earth to shine. It is the sacred vessel where gems of truth are stored. It is the heaven-drawn picture of Christ, the living Word. The scripture is a banner before God's host unfurled. It is a shining beacon above the darkling world. It is the chart and compass that all life's voyage through, mid mists and rocks and quicksands, still guides a Christ to you. church, dear Savior, a lamp of purest gold, to bear before the nations your true light as of old. Oh, teach your wandering pilgrims by this their path to trace, till clouds and darkness ended. They see you face to face. Thank you, Dave. Nothing compares to our God, our relationship with him and his word. Thank you. Well, I'll be covering for Eddie this morning as he is uh, still away at snow camp, so I'll be doing announcements. Um, got a, Don and I got a message from him yesterday, and I'll let you figure this out yourself with me. Two, two emojis, one of a shocked face and one of prayer hands. <laughs> just kidding, just kidding. It's, uh, it's going really well. We're, we're thankful so much. Eddie, is, is, he's a veteran at this. It's not his first snow camp, but uh, sounds like things are going very well. A um, few more hours left. You can be praying now for them as you think about it because uh, I think they're in a session or will be in a session soon, last session. Be praying that God will work on the hearts of young people for salvation and for growth and a safe trip home as well. So the announcements I want to share this morning is we do have communion tonight. We welcome you to come and to, to partake and to share in that meaningful service we have together. Uh, on Tuesday, be in prayer for those that are part of the finance committee as we, this is our most important meeting that we do every year. Um, and looking forward to our business meeting the following week. That's looking forward to you coming, um, members especially, but if you wanna come in and see what it's about here at IBC, be glad to have you. That's Tuesday the 17th, seven o'clock meeting that night. I'm glad that you're here. If you're first time, 
uh, get the perspective from the stage of looking across and seeing faces that I've never seen before, and that's always so exciting. We're so glad you're here. In fact, we want to invite you back to the Connection Corner right behind you on my left, your right, and to get a gift from us and to maybe collect some information from you so we can further serve and encourage you in the future. Um, and finally, I can't step away from the pulpit without saying happy birthday, Joan Cooley. Let's stand together for prayer. Father, what it is a joy to be here and just to fellowship with one another, to worship you. We thank you for that opportunity. We are grateful, Father, for that which you have provided for us and the way you have blessed us over this past year. And as we look forward to this coming year, we just ask, Father, for that continued blessing. We know it's only by your grace. It is undeserved. And yet, may we humble ourselves before you so that you might indeed continue to bestow your grace upon us. As we think about uh, this coming year, we do think about our annual meeting coming up in just a little over a week. We ask, Father, that you'd give wisdom, give direction, give understanding. May we know your will. May we make decisions based upon your will and your will alone. May Christ indeed be the head of the church. As we think of the, the finance committee meeting this coming week, as they prepare the budget, and then as the church would would vote on that budget. Father, we, we want to be wise in the use of the resources that you've given to us. We want to be good stewards of that with which you've blessed us. And I pray that we would indeed know your will in these matters. As it relates to the election of officers, we pray, Father, again, that the, the ones of your choosing would be the ones who are elected this year to fulfill those uh, responsibilities that lay before us. And Father, as we come together this morning, we, we do so at the beginning of a new year with the anticipation that perhaps this is the year that the, our Lord will return. And I pray that we'd live each day with that expectation and that each day we would be living as if you could come that day for indeed your return is imminent. It could happen at any time. And I pray that uh, even as we as Mike read this morning, that that time would come that we would indeed see you face to face and we'll become like Christ when we see him as he is. And Father, what a tremendous hope and what a tremendous anticipation that is. And I pray that the things of this world, the entanglements of this world would not have priority in our lives. Certainly you've commanded us to occupy, to carry on the the responsibilities that you have for us while we wait for the return of Christ, and yet those things should never have priority in our lives. It is indeed the anticipation of Christ coming again and forever we will be with him. That must have priority. That must maintain our focus and our attention. I pray, Father, that we'd live each day in that manner. And Father, as we think of that, we do think of our our communion service tonight as we begin our new year, as we would remember what our Savior's done for us so that we can have this hope of eternal life in the presence of our Savior. And I pray that as we would prepare for our communion service tonight, we would examine our hearts. Are we truly living a life that is pleasing to you? Are we loving you and loving others as you've commanded us to do so? 
thank you again, Father, for the time we're able to spend together this morning. Thank you so much for your love. Thank you for sending your son. Thank you for the sacrifice in our behalf, and thank you for the hope of his return. And it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Thank you. you may be seated. Sure. 
It's not only we that desire to see the face of God and our Savior Jesus Christ. God desires to see us whole before him. No more sin, cursed body, completely before him face to face. That's been his desire since the days of Adam and Eve. And, he, and for one brief, very short period of time, that was the reality. Unfortunately, sin entered the picture, but the good news of the gospel of Jesus Christ is to say that is not your permanent reality if you believe in me. So we encourage you today, if you're walking in and this is maybe new to you or you've been wrestling through what should I do, take it from what God's word says. The creator wants to be with the creature. He wants to be with you face to face. Receive him today. There are no regrets in knowing Jesus is Savior. Let's stand and sing. We'll praise the name.
Amen. Let's be seated. Turn with me, please, to 1 Thessalonians chapter 4. We've begun a new year, the year 2023. That can only mean one thing. You're going to hear a sermon on the rapture. That's become my tradition over the years that the, at the beginning of a new year, we preach a sermon concerning the rapture because whenever I begin a new year in my own mind, I think maybe finally this is the year that our Lord will return. I was hoping it would be in 2022. God had other plans. Maybe it'll be in 2023. Probably the most familiar passage concerning what we call the rapture is 1 Thessalonians chapter 4 verses 13 through 18. The passage that most of us have read many times, we've heard read many times, it's probably the one passage that I have read more than any other at a graveside during a committal service. But this past week, as I was thinking about preaching on the rapture, I started looking over some old notes and I realized something. Though I've read this passage many times, I've used it often at funeral services, at committal services. I have never preached a sermon from 1 Thessalonians chapter 4. That's going to be corrected today. We're going to look at 1 Thessalonians 4 verses 13 through 18. It's a familiar passage concerning what we call the rapture when Christ will return to call us to himself and we'll meet him in the air and so shall we ever be with the Lord. Paul makes it very clear in this passage as he writes to the Thessalonians that this, this truth concerning the rapture is to, to temper their sorrow and to give them hope, to give them comfort, to give them encouragement. Notice the verses. But I would not have you to be ignorant, brethren, concerning them who are asleep, that you sorrow not even as others who have no hope. For if we believe that Jesus died and rose again, even so them also who sleep in Jesus will God bring with him. For this we say unto you by the word of the Lord, that we who are alive and remain unto the coming of the Lord shall not precede them who are asleep. For the Lord himself shall descend from heaven with a shout, with the voice of the archangel and with the trumpet of God, and the dead in Christ shall rise first. Then we who are alive and remain shall be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air, and so shall we ever be with the Lord. Therefore, comfort one another with these words. Let's bow in prayer. Father, we're so grateful this morning for that hope that is ours in Jesus Christ. We know that he shall indeed return. We will see him face to face. We will become like him and forever be with him. May we anticipate that return each day of this new year, 2023. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Paul begins by saying, I would not have you to be ignorant brethren. Now, Paul is not being disrespectful as he says this. You know, we use that word ignorant sometimes, being disrespectful towards others. That's not the thought here at all. He's not being disrespectful. The word itself simply means to lack knowledge, to lack information. 
So really all he's saying is, I, I don't want you to lack knowledge. I don't want you to lack information. I don't want you to be uninformed, is all that uh, Paul is saying here. And apparently, the Thessalonians were somewhat confused concerning this, what we call the rapture. They knew about it. In fact, in chapter 1 of 1 Thessalonians, Paul commends them for their patience of hope. And he commends them for, their, them for them patiently waiting for the return of the Savior. So they knew about the rapture. They knew about his return. They knew he was coming again. What they were concerned about is what about the believers who have already died? How do they fit into this? How, how do these believers who have already died, will, will they miss out on this great event that we call the rapture? And so he says, I don't want you to lack information concerning them who are asleep. He said, those believers who have, have already died, he said, I don't want you to be confused about that. And that was their concern. And so he wants to correct that lack of knowledge. They were confused concerning believers who had died. Would they miss out on the coming of Christ? Notice he says that concerning them who are asleep. He's referring to believers who have died. And it's the same people as down in verse 16, he refers to them that are dead in Christ. But on several occasions in Scripture, Paul uses this word sleep to refer to the death of believers. Because he knows in his mind, by faith, he believes that that body that you lay in the grave will rise again. It will be awakened and so in that sense, he said, we're laying that body in the grave, but, but that body's not going to stay there. It's going to be raised again. It's going to be awakened. And so he, he calls it a sleep. Now, don't confuse that. There's some that believe in, in what they call soul sleep, that when we die, the, the body goes in the grave, and the soul actually goes to sleep, and, and there is no consciousness until the body rises again. I don't believe Scripture teaches that at all. We'll see that in just a few moments, but... but this idea is just, it's just, you lay the body in the grave, it's as if it's asleep, just waiting to be woken up again. And so he uses that term sleep. In other words, uh, that word sleep, it's, the, uh, it's a Greek word that we get our word cemetery from the word that's translated sleep here. The word cemetery in the Greek literally means sleeping place. And so we use that term cemetery as a sleeping place for us as believers. And that's the word that's used here. And he's referring to those who have, who have died believing in Christ and having received Him as Savior. He didn't want them to be lacking knowledge and information concerning them. He says, the reason I'm telling you this, the reason I want you to have more information is so that you will not sorrow as those who have no hope. You see, sometimes we use that phrase, you know, ignorance is bliss. Well, sometimes that may be true. You know, well, the less I know, the better off I am. Not true with it comes to the rapture. Paul says ignorance is not bliss. In fact, ignorance, lack of knowledge, lack of information, lack of truth is going to increase your sorrow and bring hopelessness. I don't want you to have greater sorrow. I don't want you to be hopeless. Paul says, I want you to have all the information you can have. And with more information, you will have less sorrow and more hope. 
And so he says, that's why I want to tell you what I'm about to tell you. Paul did not want the Thessalonians to lack knowledge concerning the coming of Christ because the more knowledge, the less sorrow, and the more hope that they will indeed have. And so he says to them, as he begins to to give them more information, verse 14, if we believe that Jesus died and rose again, even so them also who sleep in Jesus, God will bring with him. If we believe that Jesus died and rose again, the basis of the hope that he's mentioning here, he, he wants them to have more hope, the basis of that hope is the resurrection of Christ. We're told in 1 Corinthians chapter 15 that if Christ did not rise again, then we will not rise again. And in fact, we are of all men most miserable. Our faith is in vain. If Christ didn't rise, we will not rise. If he was not victorious over death, we will not be victorious over death. And our faith is in vain. And we are of all men most miserable. But Paul says Christ did rise again. In fact, it says here, if we believe that Jesus died and rose again. You could translate that since. Since we believe that Jesus died and rose again. It's, 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 a, it's a truth. It's a reality. Christ did indeed rise again. And we believe that. And that's the basis of our hope. And because he rose victorious over sin and death, we have the hope that we too will rise victorious over sin and death. Our faith is not in vain. We are not of all men most miserable because we have this hope that we will rise again. It's based upon the truth that Christ rose again. In fact, there in 1 Corinthians chapter 15, we're told that Christ is the first fruits of resurrection. First fruits. The, the, the feast of first fruits in the Old Testament was you'd bring the, the first fruits of your harvest and you'd sacrifice that to the Lord, but it was with the anticipation of more to come, a greater harvest to come. And that's the thought here. Christ is the first fruits of resurrection with the promise of more to come, our own resurrection. He's simply the first fruits. Since we believe that Christ rose again, we believe we also will rise victorious over sin and death. So the basis of our hope is the resurrection of Christ. He is the first fruits of resurrection. Notice there in verse 14, then he says, even so them also who sleep, again referring to those believers who have already died, those who sleep in Jesus will God bring with him. Now that could be a little confusing. You know, we, we lay that body in the grave. If the body's in the grave, how is God going to bring those individuals with him? When Christ returns. The body's still in the grave. What, what's he bringing with him? He says he's going to bring them with him. The body's here. We understand from first, uh, 2 Corinthians chapter 5. That this body. It's called a, a tabernacle. Or a tent. It's just a temporary dwelling. This body that we have now. It's only a temporary dwelling. And when that body dies, it indeed, that temporary dwelling is laid in the grave. But the real me, the real you, our soul, we read in 2 Corinthians chapter 5, is ushered immediately into the presence of God. We said earlier, some believe in what they call soul sleep. That when you die, not only does the body go into the grave, but the soul actually goes to sleep. And, and there's no consciousness until that body is raised again. The scripture doesn't teach that. The body indeed is laid in the grave, but the soul 
is ushered into the very presence of God immediately and is enjoying that presence today. And at the time Christ returns, he's going to bring the souls of those believers with him as he comes again. And that's what he's referring to in verse 14, that those who sleep in Jesus will God bring with him. In verse 15, he says, For this we say unto you by the word of the Lord, that we who are alive and remain unto the coming of the Lord shall not precede them or asleep. We say this, he says, by the word of the Lord. What's he mean by that? When Paul, and he uses that same kind of terminology elsewhere, when Paul says, I'm I'm saying this by the word of the Lord, he's saying, I've received this by direct revelation. We know that Paul did indeed, he talks about it on several occasions, he received direct revelation from God. He didn't just hear about it from somebody else or read about it from somebody else. He received direct revelation from God. And when Paul says, this I say unto you by the word of the Lord, that's what he's saying. I've received this by direct revelation from God. I'm not making this stuff up, Paul says. This is not just my imagination. God has directly revealed this to me. We read in 1 Corinthians chapter 15 that the rapture, and he talks about the rapture in 1 Corinthians 15 as well, and he says that that rapture, is a mystery. In Scripture, a mystery is is that which wasn't known in the past and is only known now because of direct revelation from God. Paul received this direct revelation concerning the coming of Christ. And now he writes about it in 1 Corinthians 15. He calls it a mystery because it's something that man could not know apart from direct revelation from God. But Paul received that revelation concerning this coming of Christ, what we call the rapture. And he says, I'm not making this up. This is the word of the Lord. This is what God has revealed to me. He says then in verse 16, for the Lord himself shall descend from heaven. The Lord himself shall descend from heaven. I love that thought. Notice that emphasis. The Lord himself. He's not going to send the angels to gather his believers. He's not going to send some substitute or some representative to gather us up. The Lord himself shall descend from heaven. No substitute will satisfy. No substitute is going to, to be sufficient. The Lord himself is going to descend. And when he does in verse 16, there's going to be three sounds. This event of the rapture is not only going to be visible, it's going to be audible. There's going to be three sounds. He speaks here of the, of the shout, the voice of the archangel, and the trumpet of God. Three audible sounds. The shout. What's that all about? I believe the word shout here, the, the Greek word itself, refers to a command. It's used with reference to a command of a king as he leads his army into victory. As he's ready to, to lead his army into, into battle and into victory, he, he gives the shout of the command to, to move forward, to move out. Um, I don't know exactly what the shout of the Lord's going to be here. I don't know what the command he's going to shout. I don't know what it's going to be. I, I think about uh, um, back in John chapter 11 when Christ raised Lazarus from the dead. Remember this story as he, he came and Lazarus had already been in the grave for four days. And he told him to to roll the stone away. And then it says 
that he shouted with a loud voice, Lazarus, come forth. And Lazarus came forth. And I can't help but think that this shout is that very command. Come forth, my dearly beloved. And that shout is going to raise the dead in Christ. That shout is going to give life to that body that's been laying in the grave. And that body is going to rise again. And together we will come forth to our Savior. The shout of the Lord. The command of the King as He leads us into victory. Victory over sin. Victory over death as we meet Him in the air. The shout of the Lord. Speaks then of the the voice of the archangel. The archangel. The only archangel mentioned in Scripture is Michael. I don't know if he's the only archangel that exists, but he's the only one named in Scripture. So perhaps this is Michael, the archangel, but it says there's going to be the voice of the archangel. What's this voice going to say? What's the archangel going to say? Again, I I believe it's it's probably uh, similar to the idea that that when the king, he'd go out to battle, he'd give the command to to go out to battle and, and to victory, but then when he would come back home, Having been victorious, there would be a a herald who would proclaim the coming of the king. As the king would enter back into the city, the herald would proclaim, here comes the king. And I can't help but think that the archangel, that's going to be his job. He's going to herald the coming of the triumphant king as he comes again. And so the voice of the archangel will herald and proclaim victory for the king as he enters back to this earth. And so we have the voice of the archangel. He will herald and proclaim the return of the triumphant king. And then we have the trumpet of God. In the Old Testament, God uh, commanded Israel to use trumpets. And primarily there were two thoughts in the use of the trumpet. Um, One time in, in Numbers, I think it's chapter 10, God says that the trumpet is to be used to summon the people to the tabernacle. Now, this was before the temple was built. The tabernacle is where God uh, chose to to put his dwelling place. He dwelt between the the cherubim, above the the Ark of the Covenant, above the mercy seat, in the Holy of Holies, and and that's where God chose to dwell. And and when the people would, would come to meet with God, the trumpet would blast. And it would summon the people to the tabernacle. That was one use of the trumpet. And certainly fits here. The the trumpet of the Lord will sound. And and with that trumpet, it's summoning us as believers to meet our Lord as He comes again. But There's also the thought in the Old Testament with reference to the trumpet. And and, and in 1 Corinthians chapter 15, it's referred to as he talks again about the rapture. It's referred to as the last trumpet. Well, in the Old Testament, there would be Sometimes the trumpet would be used to to gather the people to move out, to to have a journey. You know, they were wandering in the wilderness for 40 years, and and then they were making their way to the promised land, and so they were traveling from time to time. And and when they would be camped, and it was time to, 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 to move, the first trumpet would mean, and they would communicate, the first trumpet would mean, pack up. Get your things around and get packed. The second trumpet would mean line up and get ready to go. The third trumpet, the last trumpet, would mean move out. 
start going. And so I can't help but think here with the trumpet of God, the last trumpet, it says in 1 Corinthians 15, is that trumpet that says it's time to move out. It's time to go. The Lord has come. It's time now for us to meet Him in the air and to move out and to be in heaven with Him forever. And so we have these, these three sounds associated with the coming of the Lord, what we call the rapture. And that trumpet of God, the last trumpet, communicates it's time to move out. As I said, this, this rapture is going to be both visible and audible. We're going to see it, we're going to hear it. Now some have suggested that only the believers are going to hear these sounds. Only the believers will hear the shout and the voice of the archangel and the trumpet of God. I'm not sure why people have made that conclusion. It certainly doesn't say that in Scripture. And what would be the purpose of, of God not allowing the others to hear it? I mean, when, when the king would shout the command to, to go into battle for victory, um, others would hear the command. In fact, if there was close quarters, the enemy themselves would hear the command. Friend and foe. And, and then when, when the, the, the herald would pronounce the, the return of the king triumphantly, the whole city would hear. When the trumpet would blast, all of Israel would hear the trumpet. And so why would we think that only believers are going to hear these sounds? I don't believe so at all. I believe the whole world is going to hear that shout of the command, come forth. The whole world is going to hear that, that voice of the archangel that proclaims the return of the king. The whole world is going to hear that trumpet that says, come and, and, and summons us to meet our Lord and, and, and to move out to be with him. The whole world will hear it. I don't know how the world is going to respond to that. I've actually pictured in my own mind that that evening after the rapture, the evening news will come on to the TV and kind of nonchalantly, the anchor man will simply say, or the anchor woman, well, what the Christians called the rapture took place today. And they'll move on to the other news with an attitude of good riddance. <laughs> I don't know if that's what's going to happen or not. That's kind of what I picture in my mind. It's like the rapture took place, Christians are gone, good riddance. But for us, these three sounds, these three sounds initiate perhaps the greatest event in all of history. We call it the rapture. Notice, he says in verse 16, the dead in Christ shall rise first. The dead in Christ will rise first. In verse 15, it says, uh, he's already told us that, that at the coming of the Lord, that that we who are alive and remain unto the coming of the Lord will not precede them who are asleep. So those who have died believing in Christ and having trusted Him as Savior, they've been laid in the grave, the body has, but that body's going to rise first. Those of us who might be still alive at that time, we're, we're not going to go first. The, the body of those who have died is going to rise first. And, and so Paul, in essence, is saying to the Thessalonians, remember, they were, they were concerned about their, their loved ones who had passed away. Are they going to miss out on this rapture? And Paul says, not only are they not going to miss out on it, they get to go first. You don't need to worry about them. They get to go first. 
And then we who are alive and remain will be caught up to meet the Lord in the air. And so shall we ever be with the Lord. In verse 15 and in verse 17, in both places, it talks about we who are alive and remain. Alive and remain. Um, or your translation may say something like alive and are left. You know, back a few years ago, there was the, the book series and then movies were made out of it that's called Left Behind. It was used to refer to to those who would be left behind after the rapture. In other words, the believers would be, would be caught up and raptured out, and, and others, the unbelievers, would be left behind. And that was the, the meaning of that, that series, Left Behind. Paul uses it here in a little different way. He's saying that, that the, the ones who have died as believers, they, they, their soul's already gone to heaven. They're already in the presence of the Lord, and the Lord's going to bring them back with Him when He comes. But they've already gone. We who are alive, we're the ones that have been left behind. Not that we're going to get left behind at the rapture, but we're already left behind. Again, Paul's emphasizing, don't worry about those who have died believing in Christ. They got to go to heaven before you. You got left behind. Worry about yourself. Those who are alive and remain will be caught up in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. Caught up. It's the Greek word arpazo. Arpazo means to be caught up, to be snatched up. It, it, it can be used in kind of a, a sudden thing. It may be you know, that, that uh, uh, being caught up will be very quick and sudden, just gone like that. Um, but it means to be caught up, to be snatched up, to be seized the Greek word is arpazo. The Latin word is rapture. That's where we get our word rapture. Some have argued that the rapture can't be true because the word rapture appears no place in Scripture. Well, if you're looking at the English translation, that's true. You look at the King James translation, the word rapture does not appear. You look at the Latin translation, it appears. Because rapture means caught up. Arpazo means caught up. And in our English translation, it says we're caught up. We're raptured up. That's what it's all about. You're caught up in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. And so shall we ever be with the Lord. Notice Paul uses the word we. We who are alive and remain. It's obvious that, that Paul believed that it was possible that he himself would still be alive when this rapture took place. When we who are alive and remain, he includes himself in that. And so he obviously believed that it was possible that he might still be alive at that rapture. It's, it's very evident that, that Paul believed that the rapture was imminent, that it could happen at any time, and that he was living with that expectation that perhaps he would even be alive at that rapture. Now, it didn't happen in his lifetime. In fact, now we're some 2,000 years later. It still hasn't happened. But Paul was living even 2,000 years ago with the, with the expectation and the anticipation that maybe Christ will come while I'm still alive. And that's how we need to live our lives. We've entered into a new year, 2023. 
Rihanna be living every day of 2023 with the expectation and the anticipation that maybe today is the day that Christ will return. And we need to be ready and prepared for that return in our lives. And so as Paul uses the word we, it's obvious that he believed that, that the rapture was indeed imminent. In Titus chapter 2, verse 13, we read, Looking for that blessed hope and the glorious appearing of the great God and our Savior, Jesus Christ. The way that, that is put together grammatically in the original language, our, uh, the great God and our Savior, Jesus Christ, is the same individual. It's one of the greatest verses in all of Scripture to prove the deity of Christ, that He is God. The grammatical construction there in Titus chapter 2 and verse 13 emphasizes that the God, our great God, and our Savior, Jesus Christ, is the same person. He is indeed God. But it says we're looking for that blessed hope and the glorious appearing of the great God and our Savior, Jesus Christ. We're looking there. The word looking, it's a, and again, I don't mean to get technical on you as such, but I just think if I point this out, it just helps it come alive. Uh, the, the Greek word there translated looking is prosdekomai. Dekomai means to receive. Pros is the word to. So prosdekomai, literally, it means to receive to oneself. But in the Greek and in the scriptures, it's used to refer to, to waiting for something. Waiting to receive something. And so really, when we, we break that word down, I skipped that point earlier, uh, we need not worry about believers who, who uh, have died, for they are not going to miss out. They get to go first, and caught up is the word rapture. And then Paul is using the word we. But in Titus chapter 2, verse 13, that word looking for that blessed hope it means eagerly and expectantly waiting for that which faith has already received. We've already received it to ourselves by faith. Pros decomai, received to oneself. We've already received it to ourselves by faith. We already believe that he is coming in. Now we just eagerly and with anticipation, with expectation, wait for that which faith has already received. Looking for that blessed hope. You go to Philippians chapter 3. Our citizenship is in heaven, from which also we look for the Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ. We look for the Savior. It's a similar word. It still uses the word dekomai, to receive, but now it has the prefix apo. The prefix apo means from. And so in, in Titus, it's, it's the prefix pros, to receive to oneself, and it's the idea of, of waiting for that which faith has already received. But now we have this dekomai with the word from. And so it's this idea that we are indeed waiting eagerly and expectantly for that which faith has already received while our attention is focused away from everything else. That prefix from. Our attention is focused away from everything else. It's focused on Him and His return. 
And so our citizenship is in heaven, from which also we look for the Savior, eagerly and expectantly waiting for that which faith has already received, while attention is drawn away from all else. Op ectathomai. Attention is drawn away from all else. In other words, the things of this world, the entanglements of this world, does not have priority in our lives. The things of this world does not have preeminence in our lives. What has priority in our lives is eternal things. What has priority in our lives is the idea that we will be called up to meet Him in the air and so shall we ever be with the Lord. That's the priority. That's what has our attention. That's what has our focus. And yes, as we said earlier, we are commanded to occupy until He comes. That word occupy means to, to carry out the business and the responsibilities that we have here on this earth. He, he has indeed given us responsibilities. But we carry out those responsibilities with one priority in mind, and that is that we're going to be with Him forever. One priority in mind, and that's to glorify Him. And the things of this world, the entanglements of this world, cannot have priority. They can't take precedence in our lives. I need to live every day of 2023 not with this world's things in priority, but the thought that he could return today and I'll be with him forever. That's my priority. That's what I live for. And that's going to affect how I carry out my responsibilities here. It'll be for his glory and not for my own. Notice it says we'll meet the Lord in the air. Christ at this time is not going to set foot on the earth. He's going to come in the clouds. We're going to meet him in the air and he's going to take us back to be with him forever. He will not set foot on the earth at that time. In my eschatology, as I believe scripture teaches, that rapture will usher in the seven-year tribulation. At the end of that seven-year tribulation, which is, which is God bringing judgment upon the earth and, and bringing his people Israel back to himself, and there will be many others who, who likewise will, will turn to God during that time, but at the end of that seven-year tribulation, Christ will come again. And that's technically the second coming. The first coming we just celebrated at Christmas time when he came as a baby. He was laid in a manger. But then as he grew, he died on the cross for our sins. He took our place upon that cross, paying the penalty for our sin so that we could have eternal life. That was the first coming. He was actually on earth. At the rapture, he doesn't actually come to earth. He doesn't set foot on the earth. He just comes to the clouds, and we meet him there. And so the actual second coming is when he comes seven years later after the rapture and again sets foot upon the earth. And we're told specifically he's going to set foot upon the Mount of Olives. And when he sets foot on the Mount of Olives, the Mount of Olives is going to split in two. And he's going to make his way just as he did on Palm Sunday. That day that we refer to as Palm Sunday, he was on the Mount of Olives. And he rode that donkey down into the valley. And he rode it up to the, the walls of the city of Jerusalem. And he entered in through the eastern gate into the city of Jerusalem. At the second coming, 
He's going to set foot upon the Mount of Olives. The Mount of Olives is going to split in two, and there's going to be a path made right straight to that eastern gate, and he's going to enter into the city of Jerusalem, and he's going to establish his throne, and he will reign from the city of Jerusalem for a thousand years over the entire earth. That's his second coming. The rapture. We will meet him in the air. And so shall we ever be with the Lord. Paul proclaims the truth of the rapture to temper the sorrow of the Thessalonians, to give them hope, to give them comfort, to give them encouragement. Verse 18 says, therefore, comfort or encourage one another with these words. And that's my purpose this morning. I want to encourage you. I want to comfort you. I want to give you hope. We've started a new year, 2023. The world's a mess. The Bible talks about wars and rumors of wars, and that's what we have in our world today. We got the war over in Ukraine. We've got other conflicts. We don't hear much about it. We're so focused on Ukraine, but there, there's wars going on in Africa. There's a lot of conflict going on down in South America right now. And there's rumors of wars. There, there's the, the threat of China uh, invading Taiwan. There's the threat of North Korea invading South Korea. We've got wars and rumors of wars all over this world. You speak to the so-called experts, whoever they are, speak to the so-called experts about the economy, and most all of them say, we are going into a recession this year if we're not already there. And some are saying it's going to be a very deep recession. The world's a mess. 2023 is not starting out as a very promising year. But we have hope. We have encouragement. We have comfort. The Lord himself shall descend from heaven. And we who are alive and remain shall be caught up to meet him in the air. And so shall we ever be with the Lord. Encourage yourself with that truth. There is hope in the midst of that which seems hopeless. Doesn't look like a very promising year. But there's hope, there's encouragement, the Lord's coming. It could be this year. Live every day with that eager anticipation. I don't know if it'll happen. John the Apostle prayed even so come, Lord Jesus, and that's my prayer. Even so come, Lord Jesus. Make it this year. Make it today. If he doesn't come this year, Lord willing, I'll be standing here next year preaching another sermon on the rapture. Or not. The rapture may not take place. I might die this year. If I do, you get left behind, sorry. <laughs> Don't worry about me. <laughs> You're the ones getting left behind. But whether the rapture takes place or whether we die, the question is, are we prepared to meet the Lord in the air? Have you trusted Him as your Savior? He's our only hope. There is no other hope. You know, we talk about... about uh, having our priority, eternal values. 
not being entangled with the, the things of this life, not making that our priority, not making that our, 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 uh, our preeminent uh, uh, things in life. Those things of this world will never satisfy. God created us for himself. And the only satisfaction that we can ever have in life is him. All other substitutes will fail us. Those other substitutes, they, they'll promise great things. They'll promise us happiness and contentment and they'll promise us encouragement and comfort. They'll promise us hope and they will all fail in their promise. There is no substitute. God created us to find satisfaction in Him. And He is unique. No one can compare to Him. Nothing can compare to Him. There is no replacement. There is no substitute for Him. And so no matter what we may try to substitute God with in our lives, it will not satisfy. Our only satisfaction, our only hope, our only encouragement is Him. And He's coming again. Are you prepared? Will you see Him face to face and become like Him as we meet Him in the air? Let's bow in prayer. Father, we thank you again so much for this blessed hope, the glorious appearing of the great God and our Savior, Jesus Christ. Thank you, Father, for the comfort and the encouragement that can give, even in, in the midst of, of what seems to be hopeless. But we have a hope, and we can have a satisfaction in life, uncompared by anything this world can offer. May we focus upon you. May you be our priority every day of this year. And it's in Jesus' name we pray. As we conclude, would you please stand and we're going to sing the first verse of Face to Face Together. Face to face with Christ my Savior. Face to face, what will it be? When with rapture I behold him, Jesus Christ who died for me. to face with Christ my time together this morning. May we leave anticipating the return of our Savior. Guide us in our hour to follow during Sunday school. May you be glorified there as well as we continue to learn truths from your word. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Good morning. May God bless you.